The one thing that is undeniably universal is that death is inevitable. The death of a loved one is unsettling, regardless of the situation, and as such, those at the end of the process serve an invaluable role. Our friend Randy with Stokes, Proc, and Munt and the Cremation Society is here to tell us how funeral directors are here to provide much-needed assistance. Our main job is to educate, to comfort, to give them order, and to help them consider celebrating the life of the person that they lost, which is very therapeutic for them in the long run. Randy and the folks at Stokes, Proc, and Munt, along with the Cremation Society, are available to answer any of your questions, including pre-planning your arrangements. Check them out online and on social media. Dose of Dog presented by M. Bark, another edition with us today. Scott with you across the way is Heather from M. Bark again. Check them out on social media. Check them out online for all of uh, your doggy needs. Again, as we, we sit here in the office, we, we look over. There's a, a glass window here. Uh, there's a pooch uh, getting uh, primmed and propered in the uh, in the grooming area. And Heather, we've said it before that that always brings a smile, doesn't it? When you see the <laughs> The pooch is having themselves a good time. That 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 is a that is a hairy dog right there. <laughs> well, it will be he will be much less hairy when Megan gets done with him. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, whenever you come into Embark, you always feel like a celebrity because uh, there's always the group of dogs that are out there that will <laughs> let everybody know you have arrived. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, ringing the doorbell when you have 45 dogs at your house. There's Scott's a, here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun to, to stop on by. And again, check them out online, social media, lots of classes and what have you. And of course, we got all these great uh, podcasts uh, that Heather explains uh, some of the methods and some of the psychology behind mm -hmm. how things are done here. And I know today you want to talk about uh, jumping and we we've all experienced it. Mo mo it's not one of those things that people maybe think about with their own dog, but we've all experienced walking mm. into somebody else's house and there's a dog that, hey, you may love dogs, but it's like, hey, whoa, 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 they're, <laughs> they're jumping up on you and all that. I know you want to discuss that and just the jumping in general uh, with with dogs. Yeah. Gosh, and Scott, we're into like season two, right? I think we're, we're heading into our second season of podcasts, which is really exciting. Um, and I can't believe I haven't covered this. It's such a topic that gets brought up in every single class we have. And so I looked back and I thought, oh my gosh, why have I not spoken about this? So today would be a good opportunity um, to talk about it. And I think this episode will air about around the first of the year-ish. So, you know, what a prime time to work on jumping up. I also think it's appropriate because a lot of people have gotten dogs over the last two years, year and a half, and a lot of those dogs are teenagers. And this is a behavior that is often exacerbated by the teenage stage. <laughs> so we get lots and lots of questions on it in puppy class, in real life. For over older dogs, I mean, anyone, you know, jumping up is, is often just a, a big issue. Um, and some dogs relinquished um, possibly to rescue or to shelters for a behavior that's, that's kind of a natural canid behavior that they are doing a lot of, which is undesirable from the, for the, from the human perspective. So we'll talk about jumping up and, and not just on people, but I thought we'd kind of talk about jumping up in general. So on humans, on counters, when you're, 
you know, sitting on the couch, when you have guests coming in, I think that, as you said, Scott, is often the more, the, the time where it's embarrassing and it's, it's annoying to people when the dogs jump up. Um, and little dogs, big dogs, like they all do it. So we'll tackle, um, literally <laughs> tackle jumping up today. So, you know, why do they do it? Well, as I said, jumping is kind of a natural canid behavior. So if you watch dogs that are family or that know each other really well, uh, those dogs, when they go to greet one another, they often want to get to their face. Um, you know, if you have dogs that live together um, and they, you know, are, are brought back together after a time from being absent from one another, they often will go up to one another and lick their face and lick their mouth. And it's just a, a very normal canid greeting behavior. So we see it in domestic dogs. We see it in, you know, wild canids, coyotes and wolves. And, um, and, and so we see it in a kind of across the canid species. And, and, you know, the problem with it I guess if you could say it is a problem is that we are bipeds and dogs are quadrupeds, which just means that we stand on two feet and they stand on four. So they're simply just trying to get at us to greet us. Um, and, and that's why we love them, right? Because we love that they're so happy that we just came home after work. Um, some dogs are even that excited after you go out and get the mail and you've gone for two minutes and you come back in the house like they're that excited to see us so it's really not a fault <laughs> I think in dogs because it just kind of shows how excited that they are and some dogs as we know are a lot more exuberant in jumping up you know you have the dogs we have the gut punchers that kind of come up and like you know do a swimmer's turn off your chest or your gut um, we have the dogs that 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 some of our daycare dogs, they jump on you and they almost try to hug you and they get their dew claw kind of buried into your thigh. Um, you know, the little dogs that kind of bounce like a little basketball. And so jumping is just a normal behavior. And it's, 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 I would say kind of endearing because they're that excited to see you. Um, but as humans, it's often not appreciated. And as Scott said, you know, what if you have someone come into your house and they're not really a fan of dogs? Um, what can we do? So so we'll kind of um, tackle jumping in a, in a whole bunch of different contexts and, and look at why they do it and what we can kind of do about it. Um, you know, we, years ago, what we used to say is to tell them off um, and maybe push the dog off. So off, off, off. But again, if we go back to why behaviors happen, we know that the consequence of that behavior is going to drive whether it's going to continue or not. And by saying off once the dog is on you is essentially attention to the dog. So your dog jumps on you and you say off. Well, their whole goal in jumping was to get on you to get closer to your face. And now they've done that. And when you tell them off, they will get off. So we our whole goal in jumping is being proactive and preventing it from happening in the first place because we can teach them that, yes, we are really excited that you are excited to see me, but there's an appropriate way that we are going to greet one another that isn't going to involve, you know, doing a swimmer's turn off my stomach, perhaps. So, so a lot of people use off. I have yet to find that actually happening, that that is going to help <laughs> because they will get off of you, but it didn't prevent the jumping in the first place. And, you know, attention is attention, whether it's negative or positive. So even if the dog is jumping and you're saying off, off, or, or on the couch, off, 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 the dog is getting something out of doing that behavior, which means that that behavior is typically going to continue 
um, the more you tell them off. So, so that doesn't really work. Um, you know, old school dog trainers will say, you know, how we used to train in like the 50s and 60s, um, 70s, I guess, <laughs> um, squeeze their paws, knee them in the chest. And I think the only thing that that teaches a dog is to be scared of you touching them. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're jumping on you because they're so excited to see you and now you're going to hurt them and tell them, yes, I, 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 I'm going to hurt you when you jump on me as the dog is really happy to see you. So I just think that's not ethical in terms of changing behavior. Um, and it just teaches them to be scared of you. And you can see those dogs, the body language of those dogs, they come up to those people a lot differently than the dogs who have been taught like an appropriate greeting. Um, you know, kneeing them in the chest, squeezing their paws. I mean, gosh, I've heard it all um, in terms of aversives to use for getting the dog to jump. And and while, you know, my professional opinion is that that is unethical, it's also not teaching them what to do. You know, in our whole training methods are geared towards let's set that dog up for success and let's see how they can be right. Um, and so we're going to work on that. And, and the jumping up is going to be harder the more of a history that they have in doing it. So if your dog is, you know, a, you know, an eight-year-old Labrador, you know, an eight-year-old pit mix, uh, eight-year-old, 10-year-old terrier mix or whatever it might be, they have a strong history of jumping up and maybe you've done the off thing and they have gotten attention for it for eight years. So remember, the more, the stronger a behavior is, the more it's going to kind of take us to unravel that and teach something that is going to be incompatible with the jumping. So that's kind of why dogs jump and the methods that I would not recommend um, and, and, you know, as we've talked about a lot in this podcast, like punishment will work. I mean, you can squeeze their paws, you can knee them in the chest, it will, it will work because it is suppressing um, them from doing that behavior. But we're teaching the dog to be scared of us and we're not teaching them what to do. I mean, imagine if you were trying to learn a problem and someone kept telling you not that way, not that way, not that way. It's very frustrating. And what do we know about frustrated learners in the canine world? They exhibit behaviors like jumping, barking, biting. And so you're going to see all of those things possibly exacerbated later down the line. So our goal is really to be proactive and to teach the dog this is what we want them to do. And remember, this isn't going to be something you're going to solve in a day or a week. This is going to be something that's going to need a lot of repetition, especially if you have that dog that has been jumping you know, for five years or whatever it might be. And also remembering that during those teenage phases, you know, puppies that are six months to like two and a half years old, three sometimes, you know, they they have that undeveloped prefrontal cortex. We've talked about that a lot. They live in their amygdala. So when something exciting happens, all of their behaviors or all of their respondent behaviors are kind of bypassing that prefrontal cortex and going to their excited part of their brain where they're not really thinking. <laughs> so... So let's be proactive. So let's start with, let's just start with the example of um, jumping on guests coming in or you. I mean, it could kind of be the same thing. So when we put some parameters in place for this, we have to make sure everyone is kind of on board um, to do this. So my favorite thing for dogs that jump um, is called a treat scatter. And we use this for a lot of different things. So we use a treat scatter for um, kind of redirecting a dog to do something. We get it to engage their brain. We get it to distract them from something. And a treat scatter is just taking like a handful of kibble or treats and just tossing it on the floor. 
Um, and so, so what we're doing in that moment is we're kind of redirecting them to use their brain because when dogs do scavenging, smelling behaviors, they're going to use that thinking part of their brain. Um, it's going to bring their arousal level down for a moment, which is great because there's so much arousal happening in those transi transition spaces coming into a house. And so, you know, people are walking in, they're excited, the guests are excited, the dog is then very excited. <laughs> um, and so, so if we can bring those arousal levels down, that is the best way to do this. So what would that look like? So I like to tell people outside your house, if you can have some kind of a a animal proof container, <laughs> um, you know, whether that's a little um, creamer containers actually work really well for this. They're kind of a hard, harder resin plastic that you can keep outside. Um, if you can have some kind of a container outside of your house, like in your garage or whatever door typically that guests come into your house or you come into the house, um, what we're going to do is the moment you open the door, you're going to take a handful of whatever you have and you're just going to scatter it. So I want you to think about where can you put the dog with that treat scatter, which would be an appropriate place that you would eventually like them to go to. So this is like the very elementary step of kind of teaching this. So let's say I walk into your house before I enter, I have grabbed that whole container perhaps, or just a handful. As I crack the door open, my hand is low. The dog is probably right there. I'm going to take that handful of treats or food and I'm going to throw it on, you know, to the right where there's an entry rug, which is the eventual place that I would like my dog to go. So this is like baby step one of like 10 steps. So I'm going to walk in the door. I have a handful of something. I'm going to toss like 10, 15 little pieces of kibble in the spot I'd like the dog to go. Um, we use a lot of cat food for this. Um, if you take the brand of your dog food um, and find the cat version, usually cat food is a lot smaller. It's going to take longer for them to find, which means they're going to stay in that spot and bring arousal levels down a little bit better than they would if they were really big chunks of like jerky or something. Cat food tends to be a little smellier, which sometimes means it's, it's higher value for your dog. So before you do this, I'd audition perhaps some different kinds of um, smellier food um, for this. So you're going to practice this with your family first. So let's set the precedence that every time someone comes in your door, a treat scatter occurs on that rug over there. So you walk in, you have the cat kibble or whatever your dog prefers. You're going to toss a couple pieces to that spot. Um, and then as you walk in, if you see the dog has already gotten up and they're starting to move towards you, can you do it again? And, you know, if you think about it, if you throw 10 pieces of kibble three times, I mean, that's 30 tiny pieces of cat kibble. That's probably going to be like, I don't know, an eighth of a cup, perhaps. Not maybe, probably not even that, actually, the small cat kibble. So, can you do this every time you walk in the house? So we're creating a habit. And remember, a habit is a a really strong reinforcement history of doing something. And you're going to create a habit for the dog to go to that spot. Um, and you're going to do this every time your family walks in that same door. And you're always going to throw it to the same spot. So let's make the criteria very succinct, which means I'm just going to always toss it in this spot. And let's say you do this 50 times. Well, if you predictably come in the door every single time and you throw food to that spot, your dog's going to start to go to that spot. And think about what we're doing in this scenario. So you're coming into the house. The dog is going to a spot away from you. They are using their brain. 
they are practicing hopefully a little bit of stimulus control, <laughs> which is really hard for our teenage dogs. Um, and so you're creating this little like predictable pattern. Someone comes in, you get food over there. Someone comes in, you get food over there. Someone comes in, you get food over there. And the more you do this, the more the dog is going to seek going to the spot where you did the treat scatter. Um, and they're almost like waiting for the interception. They're going to be there and they're kind of waiting for that interception. Um, and, and, and the more you do this, the dog will, you know, we're classically kind of conditioning dog walks in the door, food lands here, dog walks in the door, food lands here. And, and with no contingency. So whatever the dog does, I still want you to throw it. Um, you know, if the dog really comes at you, I might shut the door and open it again and try it again. And then you're going to get this beautiful little operant behavior that's going to come out of the scenario where you open the door and where does the dog go? The dog goes to the spot the food always lands. So now we've created a really predictable little scenario where you walk in the door and the dog goes to that spot where they start to offer going to that spot. They know what's going to happen. Um, you're going to give them a moment to kind of bring their arousal down a little bit. So um, that's what we're going to kind of work on. So that means outside, you're going to have to have some kind of a treat station, as we call them, outside so that you can, people have access to this. Um, when they walk in the house, sometimes a little sign like, hey, we're working on, you know, not punching all our guests in the stomach. <laughs> you know, we're working on jumping. Um, can you grab this container and, and when you walk in, can you toss it there? And, and the more you do it as your family, the more the dog is just going to get comfortable with this routine. And then we can give guests the, the honor of doing it. Now, when you have guests over there, they might not be as savvy in terms of throwing it to that spot. So you might have to supplement them. So you might have, um, you know, another thing, a kibble in the house where, where you can kind of double that up and toss to that spot. Um, I do, I do tell people sometimes some dogs, they need that audible sound of the kibble hitting something. Um, and if you don't have, you know, if you're throwing it on a rug, they sometimes don't hear that. So using like a big metal dish where the kibble hits the dish and the dog audibly hears it and they go to that spot. So it's kind of a, oh, their kibble fell right here because what dog doesn't know the sound of kibble hitting a dish? <laughs> you know, they hear that and they're like, oh, it's dinner time. So you might put a little dish there um, or a big soup pot or something that the kibble can just make a sound when it, so it lands so they know where it's landing. And then once your dog is predictably going to that mat, we could ask them for like a little chill out behavior, um, a sit, a down, a stand. Like we really like a down because down is more of a stationary kind of relaxed position. So when you have guests over, let's create the scenario. And, and again, what we're doing is we're teaching the dog something that is incompatible with jumping. So, hey, when you go and you lay on your bed, you you aren't doing or you're not able to do the behaviors that I don't want you to. Um, those of you that have listened before, we you know that we call it a DRI, differential reinforcer of an incompatible behavior when the dog does that. Um, because when they go to their mat, they can't do the other behavior. And now they're being right and they're owning their behavior and they're offering something that is lovely. Um so that's what I want everyone to think about for jumping up and creating the scenario that everyone that comes through that door, it's very predictable. Um, so they know what's going to happen. And then once their arousal levels come down, you can greet them and they can greet you in a more, a little bit more of a relaxed uh, uh, state, I guess I would say. Um, if they do jump, because they will, you know, turn away. That's kind of um, what we say a lot. But, you know, oftentimes most dogs don't care. <laughs> 
<laughs> you turn away and they just jump on your back. So, and again, because we're not, we're taking attention away from the dog. So we're, we're removing attention from the dog. So negative punishment is what we would call that. We're taking something away to get that behavior to stop. But, but that doesn't always work. Um, because the dogs will often continue to jump on you from behind because if you have given them any kind of verbal feedback in that scenario, they're probably going to continue it. Um, some dogs, if they're not in a high enough arousal level, you can cue a sit or a down. Um, oftentimes that, that's going to take a while because they are so excited in that moment. So um, that doesn't always kind of solve the problem. So you can remove your attention for sure, but then always think about how can, how can I create the right behavior to happen? Um, you know, some, some things that you might want to tell your visitors, um, Hey, you know, you're coming over, can you grab some kibble? Um, and again, you remember that you might have to, to supplement if the dog is, if they're not throwing quick enough. Um, and then just practice, you know, predictability in any learner builds success if they know what's going to happen. Um, you know, when people come in and, and so the, the, the same, these same, scenarios, these same tips are going to, uh, these things are going to be applicable to jumping up on the counter too. And, you know, I'll often tell people that your dogs become spider monkeys when they're like 14 weeks old. All of a sudden they're like, I have legs and they launch on the counter and they can launch on people when they maybe never did that before. <laughs> so that's because sometimes kind of frustrating for people. So the same thing with the counter, maybe in your kitchen. Um, and I think we talked about this in, um, one of our first episodes when we talked about uh, why dogs do what they do. Um, can we make a spot in the kitchen the really predictable spot for the dog to go? So can we toss food on a dog bed where the dog can continuously go to that spot? And then the context for this behavior is that you have entered the house or entered, I'm sorry, entered the kitchen. The dog gets cat kibble thrown on that dog bed. They start to kind of go to that dog bed. So you don't even have to cue it. You don't necessarily need a verbal for that. You just need a, um, I've entered the kitchen. When I enter the kitchen, you go to the dog bed and you get rewarded for it. Um, just starting to create that, that scenario where when the human walks into the kitchen, the, that context predicts that food is going to land on that dog bed. And man, dogs can understand this. I mean, I had a litter. Um, the puppies are three years old now, but um, when they were baby dogs, five and a half weeks old, every time I went, they went onto a dog bed in my kitchen, I, I sprinkled some shredded chicken on there. And at five and a half weeks, I went into my kitchen and I kind of waited and all the puppies went onto that dog bed when I went into the kitchen. And it was just the context that drove that behavior. So we've set up the environment to make success in those puppies. And these are five and a half week old puppies. Like they don't even know anything, but they knew that that context predicted that food landed here. Um, so if we can, if we can um, kind of put that into, into the scenario, um, and then maybe sometimes, you know, so the other piece to this is management. And, and man, I am a fan of management. Some people will say, well, you're not solving the problem. You know, you're just putting Band-Aid on it. You know what? Sometimes our lives are crazy. And sometimes you just need a baby gate. And you know what? That is absolutely, utterly fine. <laughs> um, sometimes you just put a baby gate up and you're like, you know what? We're just going to wait for you to calm down. Um, I typically don't like dogs on a leash for greeting because it creates frustration, that pressure on the leash, the dog um, exhibiting pressure to get to the people and they can't. It creates a lot of frustration, which frustration in a canine learner creates jumping, creates barking, creates biting and biting like puppy, like jump up and bite. Um, 
not biting because of fear. <laughs> uh, and so that oftentimes just that restriction can build some frustration and baby gates sometimes can have that effect, but most frustration really can come from being on a leash. So, you know, maybe you need, um, you need to put the dog in the baby gate. Maybe as the people are arriving, your dog goes away with a stuffed Kong or a snuffle mat or something to do with their brain until they kind of bring their arousal level down. So don't forget management. I mean, some problems you're just like, you know what? I just, I don't want to problem solve this. We're just going to manage it. And that is an absolutely fine approach. <laughs> um, people will say, well, then you're not addressing the problem. Well, you know what? I don't buy gallons of haagen ice cream because I will eat it. And that is my management. And I'm going to go with that. <laughs> so sometimes you just manage the issue if you're like, you know, just not the time. I, 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 I can't be attentive enough to my dog. And that is absolutely fine. I'm a big fan of baby gates and, and you know, spaces that the dog can go. Um, I'm also a fan of food robots. Oh my gosh, I love food robots. Um, we have a treat, we have a lot of treat and trains that we loan out. Um, a pet tutor is another one that we kind of have all over our building. They're a Bluetooth operated food robot where you can reward the dog in a desired location kind of far away from you, which are so fabulous for greeting behaviors. Um, the treat and train was actually developed by Dr. Dunbar, Dr. Ian Dunbar for, um, it was called a manners minder when it first came out um, for greeting behaviors at the door. Um, and then Dr. Sophia Yin, I believe, got the patent. Um, and now they're continuing to be made as the treat and train. Um, but they used to be called a manners minder just for this. It allowed you to reinforce the dog in another space um, when you weren't away. So that's another awesome way. And, you know, again, people will say, well, you're cheating, but you're not. You're actually rewarding them in the desired location for doing a behavior, hanging out on a down by the food robot as people come in. And that's a lovely scenario. <laughs> so there's a lot of different pieces to this. Um, always remember, you know, kind of the, the cardinal pieces, I guess, to take out of this are um, think about a behavior you would like the dog to do instead. And let's build a huge reinforcement history for your dog doing that behavior. Um, you know, punishment isn't teaching your dog anything. Um, you may feel big and powerful because the dog isn't jumping on you, but we're not actually creating learning in that dog. Let's give them a skill that they can kind of own and be successful with when they're jumping. And remember that they're just excited. You know, they don't mean to harm you. I mean, some dogs are beefy and they come at you hard and man that's that's difficult but again that might be where management as you're as you're problem solving this um management might kind of come into play um so it's easy to get frustrated because it hurts um but we have to think about let's make the dog um ha be able to do a behavior that they can be successful at so rewarding the behavior you like and then if if all else fails, you might just put in some management pieces. So you might just say, you know what, we're going to put up a baby gate. You know what, we're going to, um, you know, give the dog a topple, a stuffed topple or a stuffed Kong or a snuffle mat when people come in um, so that they have something to do so that they are in a calm, calmer kind of spot when people come over. So your homework, everyone, is going to be to... Uh, kind of fill your family member in on your on your plan um, and set up those treat stations. So one outside, maybe one in the house, um, you know, when the people come in and kind of get everyone on board. Um, and, and again, we're unraveling a reinforcement history of jumping and getting attention. So all of your dogs are going to respond differently to this. I mean, if they're 
a younger puppy with not a lot of reinforcement history, um, they're not going to take as long. Um, and, and this is something to start with a baby dog. Like we talk about starting this with a baby dog when you first get them. So they never really learn. They always learn when someone comes over that that's the spot that they go to. Um, your old, the dogs that have a longer history of doing these behaviors, those are, they're going to take a little bit longer. So, so get your treat stations out and um, debrief your family members so that we can put a different behavior in the place of jumping. <laughs>